I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Thanks very much, Carl. Welcome to the Halftime Report on this Veterans Day. I'm Scott Wapner. We have some special programming for you in just a little bit, including a visit with SoFi CEO and West Point grad Anthony Noto, the investment committee here, too, to talk about the markets today, including two veterans, Degas Wright of Decatur Capital Management. He served in the United States Army, Jim Labenthal in the U.S. Navy. Thanks to both of you guys and thanks to all of our veterans, we always salute those in service and who have served to continue to do so now. Also joining me for the hour, Stephanie Link, Joe Terranova. We do begin with a check on the markets. We are green now across the board. Jim Labenthal, well, the Russell's in the red, but you know, Dow, S&P, NASDAQ are all green. Jim Labenthal, we got a big rebound in the NAS names. You got the Dow on pace for the best month since January of 1987. Well, Scott, first off, thank you, because every year you and throughout the year, you give a lot of respect to veterans. It means a lot to me personally, you and the team at CNBC. Thank you very much. Um, On to the markets. You know, look, a little reversal today uh, where the cyclicals are fading and, and tech is rallying. I think that's healthy. I mean, look, we've had one heck of a rotation, not just this week, but in the last two months it's been going on. It's time for a pause. And I think the most important message here is anyone who's feeling like they missed out, you don't need to feel that way. If you feel like you missed out on the tech rally of the summer, well, guess what? September and October have given you the opportunity to get into those large cap tech names, the FANG names. And if you feel like you missed out on the cyclical rally, guess what? That's going to go on for another year or two. That is emblematic of an economic expansion that is just going to start as we come out of this pandemic crisis. So nobody's missed anything. Just take your time. Be patient. It never helps to be emotional in your investing, but it is an okay, okay time, excuse me, an okay time to buy in a diversified portfolio. Yeah, you need, need not favor one over the other. You haven't missed anything if you believe in Goldman's call today from David Costin. Degas, how about this? So he goes to 3,700 on the S&P for this year. That's, you know, that's a nice jump from where we are now. Next year, though, extraordinary. He expects a climb by 16% to 4,300 year end 2021, a 7% gain by the end of 2022. You get to 4,600. Talks about the vaccine development being more important uh, than the policies of a Biden presidency. Yes, Scott. First of all, I want to thank CNBC for honoring the veterans. Uh, The whole program does a great job. The network does a great job. And I feel very uh, uh, honored to be here among the other veterans that will be uh, uh, reviewed. So the markets, what we're seeing here is just a basic long term view. We want everyone to take a long term view. And what we're looking at is about one year out now. And so I agree with the comments because ultimately what has to happen now is that the vaccine is the most important. We have to open up the economy. As you start looking at your portfolio, look throughout every sector to see what is the business model for that particular company. And that's the best way of of really going through this bottle to market that we have right now. Yeah. Stephanie Link, um, what do you think about this, this call from Costin? Does it make sense to you? Not so much 2020. Uh, because the market seems pretty well primed uh, for where it could go from here. It's gotten its arms pretty quickly around the idea of this Biden presidency and a split Congress. The Democrats have to do uh, a sweep of those 
uh, runoffs in Georgia at the beginning of January or you're going to have a, a split Congress. And the market seems to certainly like those prospects. Yeah, I totally agree with David Costin. Also, his GDP number of 5% for next year, I totally agree with. I think that actually might even be conservative. Uh, if we reopen properly and we are successful with the vaccine, I also think that means that that could translate into 30% earnings growth next year. And I don't think a lot of people are expecting 30% earnings growth. But the bottom line is, you mentioned it, right? We have an outcome on the election as of now, right? We have possibly or probably a mixed Congress. You're making progress on the vaccine. We're slowly removing the uncertainties. And one thing that the both sides agree <coughs> on is fiscal policy. It's a we have to figure out the, the, the amount and the timing of it, but I think it's coming. And oh, by the way, we already have a lot of stimulus in place, which is the reason why we are seeing better economic data and better earnings growth. And by the way, on earnings growth, 86% of the S&P 500 companies beat earnings, 75% beat on the revenue line, 50% of the companies in the S&P 500 had margin expansion. It's all good signs uh, for stocks. And so I continue to be very positive. Yeah. Joe, you know, the, the cost and call is is obviously one that's being talked about heavily today um, on the street. I just wonder, you know, the, the market has has really looked beyond some of the, you know, at this point, noise. Um, maybe it develops into something more serious in, in the in the weeks ahead. Not just talking about these surging covid cases, which are exploding around the country and you entertain the idea of possible shutdowns in places, uh, schools being impacted and the like, you know, the president not acknowledging the election result, the prospects of not of him not leaving office, however serious you, you think that is, or, or maybe not at all. Um, the prospect of rising interest rates, you know, we're pushing on one percent or, or, or pretty close to that. Market doesn't seem to be worried about any of it. Well, first, let me uh, express my thanks to Jim and Degas for their service and to all veterans the same on this very important day for our country. Uh, in response to your question, Scott, there will be one president on January 20th. I think the country knows that President-elect Biden uh, will be that president. I think that markets are responding to that. Uh, the bond market is closed today. You mentioned 1%. I would, would suspect that if the bond market was open, we would see pricing above 1% for a 10-year Treasury. But I think what the market is thinking about for 2021 and what David Costin has right here is that there's three strong contributors to earnings and to the economy next year that wasn't present. Number one, you're going to get a CapEx recovery, which has been much needed. Number two, you are going to reintroduce globalization, and that is going to remove some of the strain that has been placed on consumers with tariffs on imports from China. And lastly, I still suspect that flows of capital will come out of the bond market and they will go into the equity market, both towards growth and towards value. Well, that's, that, that's where I want to go next, Jim, is this idea of value taking the mantle now, as these growth stocks have sold off, albeit today is a nice rebound day. You've got the Nasdaq up by better than 200 points. And I look across my screen, which is what I'm doing uh, right now. You've got all the mega caps up. You've got the stay at homes up, the Pelotons, the Zooms, the DocuSigns. All of those are having a nice rebound. The question is, what happens now? Right. We, we had some obvious moves on the vaccine news, but more, you know, 
close to us now in the days ahead. What's going to happen with that trade? Does it revert back yeah. to how it was? Is there staying power for value? How do you see it? I think, I think there is room for both large cap tech uh, and value to continue to perform well. There's no reason. Look, I look at the Apples, the Googles, the Facebooks of the world. You can't even say these are expensive, you know, at around 30 times earnings in a low interest rate environment. Not with the, not with the growth rates that they have in earnings. Um, look, the stay at home stocks, the Pelotons, the Zooms, and I'm going to throw in there this, the software stocks. I think these stocks that are trading at many, many multiples of sales are still too pricey. I've stayed away from them. That's the one area I don't like. But in value, look, you've already seen industrials rallying the last two months. I think financials are next. And we talked about this yesterday. I'm going to say it again. I think the three reasons are, one, you're going to get a steeper, steeper yield curve, and you already are. Number two, loan losses are going to be less than expected. Just listen to Jamie Dimon on the last uh, conference call about that. And finally, you get into the first quarter, and, and the, the, the market is going to anticipate this now, that buybacks are eventually going to be allowed back by the uh, Federal Reserve. So I think financials are the next sector to start rallying. Yeah, maybe step th- I mean, this is perhaps the next big battleground, right? Wells Fargo today says we advise getting aggressive on the banks despite Monday's run up. In banks, we have historic valuation, significant scope for upside potential, an uncrowded opportunity and catalysts in the form of fundamentally driven reflation and near term COVID solution, i.e. higher interest rates and the vaccine. Mike Mayo says vaccine progress should continue to help the banks. You know, there's some upgrades today. In, in that space. Is it something to believe in, do you think, finally? <laughs> finally. I mean, some of these stocks are still down 30, 40, 50 percent, right, year to date. So they haven't recovered. They are cheap. They're better capitalized, for sure. But you need a steep yield curve. And the only way you're really going to have a sustainable yield curve that steepens is if you have better growth and a little bit of inflation. And so maybe having a vaccine uh, in the next, say, two, three, four quarters, that will lead to better growth. And then you will see the steepening yield curve. You will see a little bit of inflation. But I think you need those things for for financials really to outperform on a sustainable basis. I think you want to own special situations, which is what I do. I only own four names and I feel really good about them. Most of them are turnaround stories. But I think you can pick your spots. Be patient, like Jim says. You know, the, the other idea Degas, getting back to, you know, the comments that Jim Labenthal just made, which I thought were interesting, talking about big tech not being expensive. Those were his words. You know, you look at the valuations. A lot of them are in the 30s, not not Amazon, obviously. The point, though, now is that the hard work is truly ahead of those. Right. You're not going to get multiple expansion any anymore or certainly not to the degree which you did. Earnings now have to live up to the hype. Right. It's going to be an earnings driven story moving forward. The question is, are earnings really going to be good enough or are we getting ahead of ourselves there, too? Scott, you know, I'm going back to what Jim said. You have to look at this valuation differently. Uh, what's happening now is that we have what's the intangible value was cannot be measured and it's very difficult to measure. But if these companies reputations continue to improve, if the business model is strong, Apple, Microsoft, Look at the business models. The business models are not going away. They're just increasing. They're bringing out new products, new services. And I think that's how you have to value these companies. You have to look at within industry and then do evaluation by industry to really see where the value premiums lie in these particular companies. I know, Joe, everybody wants to get on the value bandwagon. Wolf Research, though, today says Mm. to fade it. 
right? Did you, I don't know if you saw this note or not. They say faded into, into year end. Our sense, they say, is that positive vaccine developments and a return to quote unquote normal are likely to lead value outperforming over the next 12 to 18 months. OK, we get that right. That makes total sense. That's me saying mm-hmm. that uh, they go on. However, mm-hmm. uh, following the most recent value rip, we'd fade that trade into year end. I mean, it's an interesting and look, you got to be really nimble to try and play this game that way. OK, we yeah. think it's going to outperform yeah. over 12 to 18 months, but faded into year. And OK, so that sounds all great on paper. Putting it into practice is something different altogether. No, that, that's that's not that's not for me. That's not a game I want to play, fading it into to year end. When I think about S&P growth and I think about S&P value year to date, I think about a football game where the score is 37 to nothing for growth versus value. And in the last five days, value has scored a touchdown. And now everyone's saying they're going to win the game uh, by the end of the year. I just don't see that happening. If it was a basketball game, you look back over the last five years, growth is up 105 to 34. So, yes, value can close in a mean reversion capacity this significant gap. But I think most importantly, Scott, when I look at value, I want to replace the word value with quality. That's what's important. When I look at growth, I want to make sure that I am staying allocated to established growth. Established growth is seeing strong performance relative to emerging growth in the last five days as there seems to be this little bit of rotation. Apple, it's established growth. Apple in the last five days, I believe, is up about 5%. So I think there's a difference in the way we define that growth. You know, Steph, uh, I'm looking at this tweet from Scott Gottlieb, you know, Dr. Gottlieb, who's been at the absolute forefront of dealing with this pandemic and advising all of us on what was likely to happen and what we should do about it. Okay, he tweets. um, I don't have the exact time on it. Uh, COVID hospitalizations are rising quickly. We need to start discussions about how we preserve health system capacity, given the velocity of this growth in hospital and ICU admissions and the fact that it will be harder to backstop hospitals, given how distributed the epidemic is. That just takes me back when, when you got people talking about fading the value trade and whether you should go growth, you go value, you go stay at home or you don't. You know, the alarm bells are going off across the scientific and medical community about what's happening within uh, with the virus. And and with the market, the, the S&P is at 3577. You've got people raising their targets like Costin did today. And I just I just wonder wh- whether it's just too too complacent about where the reality of of where we are truly is when you see a Gottlieb tweet like that. No, and he's been spot on the whole time. So we want to listen to him for sure. But we have actually made so much progress in terms of tests, in terms of some cures, some term, in terms of this whole vaccine situation, 90% efficacy. That's absolutely enormous. Dr. Fauci said he would have been happy with 40 to 50% efficacy. So we are absolutely making the progress. So we have to watch the closures. But I don't think that this country is going to close down 100%. You're going to have hot spots that close. You're going to have schools that close. There's no doubt. Um, We do have to figure out the whole hospital situation. But the death rates actually are moderating. And so that's also pretty encouraging. So I think we can better handle the situation much better than what we did in March and April. So, yeah, I mean, it's something to worry about. But again, I go back to 
there's so much liquidity in the system. You do not want to fight it. And there's more coming. Right. And, and, and it's not just here. It's 90 trillion around the world. Yeah. So it's sloshing around and you do not want to fight that. Right. And that, that's why people, uh, you know, big investors, well-known ones and otherwise, you know, the, the, the kinds of people that I've been having conversations with use the word Goldilocks even in spite of these rising cases because of the vaccine hopes, because of the new president, um, because of a split Congress, because of the stimulus, because of the Fed. It's exactly, Steph, what you say. Spending, but not too much. Rates go up, but not too much. Uh, Tax policy, not what it was thought to perhaps be in a blue wave. Again, you have these runoffs in early January, and we have to wait for the outcomes there to see what's truly ahead of us. But your point is very, very well taken. We will take a break on this Veterans Day. We honor those who serve this country and who have served our great nation. Two of our experts were in the military, as we said. We'll be joined by another veteran, Anthony Noto of SOFI. The Investment Committee will answer a few questions as well. We're back in two minutes. And welcome back. We want to once again thank all those who have served in our armed forces and those who still do. We mentioned that our investment committee members, Jim Labenthal and Degas Wright, are veterans themselves. And here's what service means to them. What motivated me to join the military was I wanted to be like my father. And he instilled in me a sense of service by his service in the military and the United States Army. I served in the military for five years. I was a armored cavalry officer, and that means that I was responsible for working with soldiers and our main source of transportation was the uh, armored fighting vehicles, and I left the service as a captain. My military service affected my life today because one, I learned leadership, I learned service, and I learned the importance of working for something larger than yourself. I served seven glorious years in the United States Navy from 1990 to 97. I was a nuclear engineer and a submarine officer. Submarines and aircraft carriers are nuclear powered. Submarines have the advantage of, in addition to being a nuclear engineer, you can be a warrior and fight the front end of the ship as well as drive the back end of the ship. One of the things I learned and loved the most uh, in the Navy was the sense of teamwork and the sense of it didn't matter what your upbringing was or what your beliefs were, as long as you could complete the job at hand and complete it well. Guys, as I said, we, we, uh, we do salute you uh, and your service to this great country. I love the old pictures. Um, and, and Degas, you know, I, I know you think often back to the days of the Beast Barracks, uh, as they were called at, at West Point. Tell me about your roommate and a funny story that you have. Yeah, so uh, the uh, cadre welcomed us on July 1st into the academy. And one of the things, I had a roommate, a brilliant young man, and we, we would go around West Point, and he would just look at the buildings, and, and the buildings are in the style of a, of a Greek revival granite. And he saw the granite, all he saw was the dullness, the, it was drab. And what I saw was silver because I wanted to be there. It was a dream. And so what happened, freshman year, he left the academy. He did not graduate from the academy. And I was blessed enough to have 
finish that journey. But it taught me the perspective you look at your challenges. You can look at it positive or negatively, and that can mean all the difference. You know, uh, we, we ask everybody all, whenever we, we do this, um, you know, annually, Jim and Degas, what you take from your military experience into uh, the real world, so to speak, you know, into the boardroom, if you're an executive, onto the trading floor, or, or the way that you in, invest other people's money uh, and your own. And the, the word that always arises from that is, is discipline. And, and I think of that so much, Jim, when I think about you, the way you talk about stocks, the way you think about your, your investments or trades. I, I think of our many conversations on Roku and how you have to remain disciplined in the way that you uh, interact with the market. Right. I mean, it, it is discipline in the way you think and, and, and execute all this stuff. It is discipline. Thank you, Scott. Um, it is discipline. And there's one other word that, that goes hand in glove with it, which is humility. You, you have to know yourself. You have to know your strengths and weaknesses. You have to know the strengths and weaknesses of others on your team. And if you do that, and if you carry yourself with a modicum, a meaningful amount of humility, that's where the discipline comes from. Um, to know when you're right, but to know when you're wrong, too. And, you know, as I think about today and every day I think about my military service, what I really feel is gratitude, grateful to have, have had the lessons learned that I did learn in the military. And it really comes down to discipline, teamwork and humility. Um, I think as our nation goes through a very important transition, those are those are elements that I hope we will all hold in high regard as we go into the next phase of this great nation's life. Yeah, very well said. We do, as I mentioned, have another West Point grad with us today. Anthony Noto is the CEO of SoFi, a West Point grad, and uh, what has become really a tradition for us, Anthony, to be able to visit on this day and talk about your service and what it means to you. Well, thank you for having me, Scott. It's a privilege for me to be here representing uh, so many thousands of people that have served our country so well and continue to serve our country so well, and just as importantly, recognizing their families and their support systems that are behind them Every man and woman that serves our country today or serves in the past would not have been able to do that job the way they did uh, without the support of their family. So it's also a recognition uh, for all of them and the people that have served. What do it's you, a privilege here. I'm sorry. What, what do you want people to think about the, the, the great takeaway uh, on this day? Just, you know, b beyond saying that we honor our veterans and we salute those who serve and those who serve. Is there a, a bigger meaning that we should all take away from this great day? I think it's critically important that um, people serve and give back to their country and, and help sustain our way of life, the democracy that we all benefit from, the impact that we have on society more broadly across the globe. It's not just about defending our way of life, but it's about giving those that don't have an ability to fight for themselves the support uh, that it takes um, for them to be able to exist in a balanced world, in a world where there are equal rights. And so in this day, as we have such social unrest because of the inequalities that exist in our country, they exist more globally, uh, and many people are suppressed, and our military forces are serving our country, but they're also serving uh, the world at large. And that takes our men and women away from home, away from their families, puts them in danger. They put their life on the line every day to ensure our way of life and, and the world more broadly. And, and that's a tremendous sacrifice, and it takes a special person to do that. And, and we should recognize that more than anything else, as well as their families that are equally taking on that sacrifice and risk. You know, speaking of that, the, the, sadly, the, the pandemic, as you know, Anthony, has hit veterans especially hard. 
I saw a Military Times article a couple of weeks ago in which they said COVID cases among VA patients was up 70 percent over that prior 30 day period. Uh, we talk a lot about the, the pandemic and the impact that it's had on, on our society and veterans have been hard hit. They absolutely have. And the government's doing a great job of trying to you know, ensure the welfare and health of, of all people. Um, I know the military leaders that I have the closest connectivity to have done a phenomenal job for their soldiers. Um, looking at West Point, where uh, I went to, to school and graduated from, uh, General Williams has done a phenomenal job of ensuring the Corps cadets is there every day, chasing their mission to become leaders of character, to lead with excellence. Uh, he's enabling that them not just to attend classes every day, but be able to play Division One sports actively. Um, the fact that they've been able to manage the COVID on the campus shows the right way to be able to do it. There's a great shining example for the rest of the country uh, to figure out a way to put health and safety first, but being able to continue the mission despite those challenges. And uh, the strength of the Army football team is another example of that. And you know that team is, is one that's led by a great leader and they have great support from the athletic director. Um, but they're ready for every game and they're dominating on the field. They're dominating in the classroom. And so there's a way to get it done. And there's a great example of that from West Point and General Williams and Mike Buddy and, and Coach Munkin across all the academy and, and something the other academies should look to model and, and society more broadly. I've, I know I've asked you before sort of what you take from your military experience and the way that you are a, a corporate executive now. But to layer that even more so, what have you leaned on from your military training and, and being at West Point that you've had to use to help get SoFi through this pandemic? Yeah, I think the, the reality of being a leader is that you're responsible for anything that does or doesn't happen. And you can delegate authority, but you can't delegate responsibility. And, you know, the, the ships don't sail and the planes don't fly and the tanks don't roll without the people. And so as a leader, you have to bring the team together, identify the issues, focus on the mission, develop a battle plan and execute, knowing that what you think is going to happen won't. And you need to have contingency plans along the way. Our team's done a phenomenal job and we're a financial institution that needs to be trusted by our members. We need to be reliable and stable and robust. And we need to be there for that moment when they need us, especially when they can't leave their house. And so we rolled out our plan that we worked on for the last two and a half years in March and by uh, the third week in March, our entire company was working from home and able to serve our members 24-7. Uh, and we've been up and reliable for them that entire time. And it's a true testament to the leaders we have at the company and the culture that we're building and their ability to come together in a very trying time and execute with excellence. I can be prouder of what they've done. And, and it's a direct result of the people that we have that are making it happen. Um, and they're caring for not just our employees, but also for the members that we serve. So it's been a 10 months and I um, couldn't be prouder of what we've done for our employees and, and for all of our members and our businesses accelerated um, along with it. You, you have such a consumer facing business. I hope you'll oblige me uh, a question about that. Just curious as to what you see out there. It's, you know, it's a somewhat tumultuous time in this country. We've just had an election. We've just had really positive news about a vaccine prospect for next year. How does the landscape look to you now as you look forward? The demand for financial services as a foundation of people's lives are greater than ever. We've seen a meaningful acceleration in the demand and need for our services across all of our products. We just launched uh, SoFi Credit Card, which is off to a strong start. Um, for those that have student loans with us, that have refinanced with us, we've been able to give them forbearance, but there's still really strong demand to, in this low rate interest environment to refinance um, student loans and home loans. And so we've seen a really robust environment across uh, those products. In addition, 
to the desire of people to invest more and to start saving for rainy day funds. For the first time in people's lives, they went from making money one day to making nothing the next day, and it had nothing to do with their individual contributions or their performance. It was because of this tragic global pandemic. And so now more than ever, they're building these rainy day funds, building a strong foundation financially. And in Q3 that we just closed at the end of September, we had a record quarter in revenue. It was our first quarter of positive EBITDA uh, since embarking on this this roadmap of becoming a one-stop shop for all of your financial services needs. So we're at that point now and uniquely great when people need it more than any other time in in history. Uh, They can come to SoFi and serve all their needs across borrowing, saving, spending, investing, protecting on one platform on a mobile device. They don't have to go to branches. They don't have to speak to anyone. They can get all that they need on our platform. You got, uh, I mean, how closely you're watching interest rates? I watch interest rates every day. Uh, You know, I I tell my team I go to bed scared and I wake up terrified because every day we have risks associated with interest rates, with the political regulatory environment, with our counterparties, and then obviously running our business day to day. So uh, we're definitely attuned to all those factors. And we've put in place a plan that allows us to operate in low rates and also operate really well on high rates. Uh, an environment where we're in a recession, an environment where we're in expansion. We have to be prepared just like the military does for all those scenarios and make sure we build a plan to allow us to to execute. And when the unexpected happens, being able to pivot and and still perform and and meet the challenges that we get delivered. Yeah. Grateful for your time uh, once again uh, this year. I'm glad it's it's become a tradition for us, uh, Anthony. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Scott. Thanks for having me. All right. That's Anthony Noto of SoFi joining us. And by the way, it is that company is number eight on the 2020 CNBC Disruptor 50 list. The CNBC Disruptor 50 Summit, by the way, is one week away. You can join us to celebrate the companies on the 2020 list. Visit CNBCEvents.com. You can see a full agenda there and also register to attend. We've received lots of questions from veterans about their investing goals, as you might imagine. So let's answer some of them now. First one is from retired Master Sergeant Carl Foshi. Retired Master Sergeant Carl Foshi here. After having served 25 years in the Army, I'm currently living in Las Vegas, Nevada. My question is, after a stock hits a 52-week high, what is a good percentage point down from that 52-week high to enter into a new position into that stock? Love that question, Joe. You're going to take that one for us, okay? I do. Master Sergeant Foshi, thank you for your service. And let me tell you what I tend to do is find a point of reference, whether it's a previous high that has recently been exceeded or some level in which the stock has broken out from. I think that's most constructive in defining what your point of reference would be and where there would be a low-risk opportunity to enter a trade. Okay, next up, Captain Ryan Wall from South Carolina has a question about his Roth IRA. Hi, I'm Ryan Wall, a captain in the Air Force serving in South Carolina. My question is, around this time every year, I start to think about my Roth IRA contributions for next year. And currently I'm in between Amazon, Tesla, and wanted to know what you guys thought about that or possibly a different company. Thanks so much. Uh, Thank you for the question, Stephanie. Thank you so much uh, for your service and your help. Um, I would say Amazon, I own it. It's still up 68% year to date, so I wouldn't chase it. But their end markets in terms of retail e-commerce, that's a $7 trillion market by 2025. And cloud will be a trillion dollar total addressable market by the end of the decade. So that's the one I would be buying, but I would be patient and buy on dips. 
Okay, Degas, this one to you from Corporal Sherman Watson from Compton, California, about one high-flying semi-stock. Let's listen. My name is Corporal Sherman Watson, combat veteran, and I'm here at the BMW post doing our Operation Nourish. And I'm an avid PC gamer. About five or six years ago, I bought uh, NVIDIA stock, at, I think around 35. I just want to know what is a good price to buy more or when to sell. Thank you. All right, Degas, I'm going to give you that one. You've trimmed your position in NVIDIA. Right. And so, Corporal Watson, first of all, thank you for your service. And what I want to say to you, if you purchase this stock at $35, it's now up to $526. But because you are a PC gamer, I want you to know that they've expanded the GE Force now component where you could uh, play that across all platforms. Plus, they've added the AI uh, pilot uh, improvement. So now even the pilot improvement gaming, it has improved. And so what's happening is that NVIDIA has expanded their reach across more platforms, bigger user base. I say hold this stock for the long term. All right. Good stuff. Thank you so much for those questions. Another story from the military to the business world. How one veteran was able to use what she learned in the U.S. Air Force to build her thriving small business. is about my grandfather. He gave me the only copy of a recipe that had been in my family since 1956. My name is Sherlinda Scales. I'm the founder and CEO of Mutsas LLC, and I'm also a major in the United States Air Force Reserve. Service is in our DNA. My grandfather's name is Charlie Farrell Jr., and he went into the Air Force in Korea and Vietnam as an aircraft mechanic. They called him Mutt for his ability to blend in anywhere. He was very obsessed with the with the concept of not being wasteful with condiments. So he wanted to make one sauce for all. You can put it on your eggs, your steak, you can you can do anything with it. After he passed away, it was about eight years before I learned that I had inherited the recipe. The original recipe is actually sweet and spicy. 2019 was looking great. I had not hit six figures in sales yet, and I really was pushing hard towards it. In March of this year, Right when I had my, my son, David, the pandemic hit. So here I am with a new baby, <laughs> no revenue. I'm operating with Mutt Sauce as if it's a startup because we had to start completely over. I changed my business model to e-commerce. We're about $30,000 in, in sales, which is almost reinvigorating as an entrepreneur to, to keep the learning process going, to find new ways of serving your customers. My grandfather told me something when I was a kid. He said, humility will take you farther than money. It was just a heart of service and to make an impact in people's lives. And that's all you need. All right, we will take a quick break. When we come back, the investment committee is making moves in this market, as they always are. We'll go over there. We'll talk about their latest buys and sells. A reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back right after this.
Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Britain reporting 595 new COVID-19 deaths today. That is the highest one-day figure since May. Despite added restrictions, officials confirmed nearly 23,000 new cases just today. Hurricanes are maintaining strength longer once they come ashore. That's according to a new study. Researchers say climate change and warmer ocean waters are likely to blame. At the Vatican, Pope Francis has pledged to rid the Catholic Church of sexual abuse and offered prayers to victims of ex-Cardinal McCarrick. This a day after the church released a report on the church's decades-long cover-up of his sexual misconduct. Back here in the U.S., a recall for some romaine lettuce sold in 19 states. The CDC says the lettuce sold under the brand name Tanamura and Antel may be contaminated with E. coli. At least 12 people have been infected, including five who were hospitalized. You're up to date, Scott. That's the news update. Back to you. All right, Sue, we appreciate that. Thank you. The Investment Committee, as I said, is making moves. Degas, you have a new buy, and it is Gentex. G-N-T-X. Tell us why. Yeah, so why we're doing that is that this is a company that actually makes the dimmers for your uh, vehicle, your rearview mirror dimmers, and so it provides auto components. The reason why this is a great company is that uh, I have a, a friend of mine that is a car dealer, uh, and he's actually has been sharing with me that there's a shortage of supply. So that tells me that this is a backup of orders for this particular company. They're doing well. Plus, they're in the heartland. They're located in Zeeland, Michigan, and they do a lot of work with veterans, particularly the uh, Michigan Veteran Affairs Agency. So once again, they're doing the good work. And they're doing a great product. It surprised earnings about 17 percent on um, earnings and then also sales surprised about 3 percent. It is doing exceptionally well. And then the operating cash flow is around 11 percent. Operating cash flow yields around 11 percent. Great company to hold. And it's in that space of consumer discretionary. And we're moving towards that, getting away from tech. All right. Making money and doing good. We like those stories. Joe, you bought AbbVie. And Teradyne. Yes, and first of all, for AbbVie, I want to give credit to Stephanie, who has been way ahead of all of us in entering a, a position in AbbVie. But the, the quarter that was just reported was uh, strong once again. I think the Allergan integration is grow, going well. You have clarity surrounding the election. And I had uh, gotten out of my Eli Lilly position, was looking to redeploy that capital back in healthcare. I bought Merck a couple of weeks ago. Now I'm buying AbbVie, which is experiencing recently very strong positive momentum in addition to the quality earnings report that it just uh, exhibited earlier in the month. And then real quick on Teradyne, I wanted to get exposure back into the $400 billion uh, chip making industry. Uh, I have the belief that this will be a better environment for the chip makers under President-elect Biden's administration. Teradyne is a semi-equipment name that I've owned previously in the past, and I'm happy to buy it here close to $100. Okay, good stuff. Check out this mystery chart now. It's a housing stock. It's up more than 30% this year. There's a bullish call on it today as well. We'll debate it next. Welcome back. Our mystery chart revealed. There it is. D.R. Horton up 2.5% today. 38% 38% year-to-date, upgraded today, positive Susquehanna. It's on the back of the home builder's strong earnings beat yesterday. Stephanie Link, you own it. The question is now, are you staying with it? 
I am staying with it because it actually only trades at 11 and a half times forward estimates. Those estimates are going much, much higher, 25 cents this year and next year. Yeah, you said they beat and they raised. The entry-level home buyer is on fire, and that's where these guys shine. So I almost fell off my chair. October orders were up 50 percent when they said this yesterday. So really good trends, positive all around. I'm going to stay with it. I'm not buying it up here, but I'm going to stay with it. Okay, good stuff. Rahel Solomon joins us now. She has a look at... More of the calls that are happening today. Rahel, hi. Hi, Scott. Good to be with you again. So Callan is upgrading Tapestry, the owner of Coach and Kate Spade. Rating goes to outperform. Price target jumps five bucks to $30. Scott, this is largely on a new management strategy to better use data and AI. Duke Realty gets an upgrade to outperform at BMO Markets. Target here is 47 from 39. Analysts expect accelerated growth for the company thanks to increased e-commerce demand. You can see shares are up about 1.72%. And finally, J.P. Morgan downgrading Occidental Petroleum to underweight. As the note points out, Scott, they are waiting on the world to change. Price target is 13 bucks, just slightly higher than the previous 12.50 a share. Analysts note that crude prices need to be higher than previously expected. For Oxy to break even and pay debts and shareholders, thus the waiting on the world to change. Scott, aren't we all? Yeah, a lot of businesses are waiting for the world to change. Rahel, thank you. Joe, on that note, because I was going to go to you, um, Occidental, I was going to play off of. um, Too early to buy energy? (laughs) Wait a second. They downgraded it now? Where where were they last (laughs) year or uh, at the the beginning of this year? And unfortunately, Scott, I think you're going to see... A lot of downgrades in energy because of the bounce that we're getting right now. Uh, To answer your question, too early to buy energy? Yes, I think so. For more than a trade, for an investment, I'm not necessarily sure. Maybe. All right, Joe Froze, we'll try and get him back. We will take a quick break, though. We'll talk about copper prices. They're under pressure. We'll do the futures trade next. We're back. It's time for the Futures Outlook. Copper prices are pulling back. Let's bring in Bill Baruch of Blue Line Futures with that trade. I mean, Bill, we're, we're trying to gauge everything as it relates to, you know, now versus post-pandemic with a, with a vaccine and where the economy is going to be. Is that how we think about copper? Yeah, I, I, mean, I think copper is going to be heading a lot higher in 2021. And I don't like chasing the market, but look at the narratives. The Fed's going to remain accommodative. Other central banks, maybe the Fed, we could get more. A vaccine's going to bring tailwind to risk assets. And guess what's going to show up? Inflation. So I think, too, the dollar. The dollar's going to stay at this level or lower. And then China wants to, wants to uh, stack their strategic metal reserves. And then on, on the other side of it, copper's a proxy to some of these rare earth metals that uh, could be become more popular during the new administration. So overall, what's the trade? I mean, technically, this market has broken out above a trend line going back to 2011's record high. I want to buy a little bit of a pullback. I want to see this around 305. I think you buy 305. There's a trend line from March right there. So you buy 305, you risk 10 cents down to 295. This is a longer term trade using the the, the March contract. And my upside is 330. I think we could see 360 next year in copper. So this this trade is, is quite a bit of risk. 2,500 bucks may not be for everyone, but but I think it's going to play out pretty well here over time. All right, good stuff. We'll talk to you soon, Bill Baruch. Thank you. Up next, final trades. All right, we'll do final trades now. Veterans first. You guys knew it was going to be like that. Degas, why don't you go ahead and give us a final trade? Yes, CDW. 
uh, laptop software storage. Uh, they are 100 best firm for veterans by the Military Times. Go Army. <laughs> All right. Navy man. <laughs> Those are fighting okay. words, Jim. <laughs> I wonder what I'm going to end with. Um, listen, Disney, uh, we got, we've got earnings coming up next on tomorrow afternoon. So let's look at the streaming counts. But let's look at the cash and the cash flows. What are they doing with the cash? And, of course, go Navy. Yeah, I knew that was coming. All right, Steph. <laughs> Go Boston College. (laughs) Um, Air products, actually. Uh, The stock was up 30% into the print. It was an inline number, very good revenues, pricing power. Still like the story. I'm buying the weakness today. Okay. Joe, lastly, to you. Monster beverage, long. All right. Good stuff. Again, we salute our veterans, those who have served, and those who continue to. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.